Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Oh, what a great passage. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanks thankfulness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words. I pray that you would teach us from them. And may our lives reflect these words today in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, Building the Good Life. Building the Good Life. Are you living the good life? I mentioned to one of the staff members today, some might say it this way, are you living the dream? I started to entitle it that, living the dream. One must ask the question, though, what is the dream? You're probably not going to live the dream if you don't know what the dream is. Are you living the good life? Do you know what the good life is? If you do know, are you living the good life? Would we appreciate it? Would we acknowledge it? Would we even know it even if we were living right in the middle of it? We live in a day of discontent where we don't acknowledge the good life. Jason Lehman put it this way. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors and the vacations. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. Amen. It was fall, but it was the winter I wanted, the, wanted the, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was the spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but <clears throat> it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. It, I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. Then my life was over, and I never did get what I wanted. <laughs> are we not like that? Yeah. Wherever we are, we want to be somewhere else. And so even if we are living the dream, we want somebody else's dream. If we're living the good life, do we even know it? Well, in our passage today, Paul gives us three clear directives about the good life. And I'll give you those directives right now. He simply tells us, not easy, but simply tells us this, to live, to build, to overflow. That's God's calling for you to live, to build, and to overflow. First, let's look at to live. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, our passage for today, Paul says it this way. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Now the word to live or to continue to live is predicated by just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. If you want to live, you're living in Christ. And if you're not living in Christ, you're not really living. <coughs> by the way, Paul is in prison in Rome when he wrote this. Of course, he can stay out of jail about 60 A.D., uh, when he shares with the church in Colossae and with you and I, and he tells us to continue to live. Many in our world never live. 
they exist, but they don't really live. They're more like observers than they are participants. They're more like observers than they are participants. Are you a participant in life or just an observer? I heard of a guy named Sam that was an effective fisherman. In fact, in his, his town where he lived, near this big lake, he tended to catch more fish than anybody else. He just kept coming home with lots and lots of fish. The local game warden was confounded by that. And he said, Sam, how do you do it? How do you catch all those fish? You catch more than anybody else. What's your secret? And Sam said, I tell you what, meet me here tomorrow morning. We'll go out on the boat and I'll show you my secret is how I'm able to catch more fish than anybody else. So the next morning, he got up early, went out in his boat, and uh, the game warden is there, and he says, okay, Sam, what's your secret? Show me. So they went out in deep water right in the middle of the lake, and suddenly and calmly, Sam just reached inside of a box there in his boat and pulled out a stick of dynamite. <laughs> he lit up that stick of dynamite to the shock of the game warden. He throws it up, and just about the time he hits the water, it explodes, and all these dead fish come up. He gets out a net and gathers up all the dead fish, and the game warden just starts yelling at him. He's in shock. He says, Sam! That's illegal. You know how many laws you just broke? You can't do that. And, that. and that Sam just calmly reached back into his box, pulled out another stick of dynamite. He lit it and threw it in the game warden's lap. And he said, warden, you going to sit there and complain or are you going to fish? <laughs> so in one split second, he caused that game warden to go from being an observer to a participant. In life, are you an observer or a participant? As you travel through this existence, listen to me. As you travel through this existence, don't forget to live. Very important. And you can only live in Christ. Paul makes it clear how we do that. He says that we continue to live in Him. The word in Him is in there a couple of times. I stressed it earlier. In Him is a key to all of this. And in Him, in Christ, is a key to life. I would contend from this passage that everyone can exist apart from Christ, but you'll never live apart from Him. Jesus Himself said it this way in that famous passage in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, I, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It tells me that you can come in here and listen to sermon after sermon and hear all about life but not have life. It means you can study the Bible and read and memorize passages and hear all about life but not have life. Are you in the middle of life and abundance in Christ? So he tells us to live. That's the first of all, the first thing. And again, so many people in our world never really live. I want you to know, if you're not a believer in Christ, God designed you to live life abundantly, beautifully. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, life means that we're going to live a long time. It means that we're going to live eternally with God in heaven. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to live a long time. I want you to have a long life, but I want you to have a quality life. He doesn't just stop with length. He says, I want you to have an abundant life. 
Some translations, in your translation, may say it this way, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And a lot of people live the opposite. They, they're just barely minimal in their life. God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to live life abundantly. So he tells us to live. The second thing he tells us to do is to build. Live and to build. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It's actually in verse 7 we want to look at, but I'm going to read verse 6 as well. He says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him. He's talking about your faith here, your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, rooted, rooted and built up. You know what rooted means? He's using a simple agricultural term. I've shared with you that Cherry and I have had a little house built. I try not to talk about it too much. I, we're, we're very happy to be there. We, we did something funny uh, a, a, what, a little over a week ago. We shook the hand of the builder. We went through what's called the final walkthrough. You, you know that? Any of you experienced that? So you, you've invested a lot of money in this new house. We've never built again. And this is one thing we've learned is never, never, never build again. We, <laughs> we, we, we never do that. But uh, we, we shook the hands of the builder, and he's, you know, he's telling us what we want to hear. He's a nice guy, by the way. But he's telling us, this is the best house of this design I've ever built. And, and I'm soaking it up, you know. You're all, it's a proud moment, you know. When you buy a car at the car dealer, the car dealer doesn't shake your hand and say, congratulations, you bought the sorriest car on the lot. <laughs> no, they want you to think that's the best car they got. And so he's sharing that with me. And again, he's, he's a very nice guy. I know he was sincere. And, and uh, so that day, that day when we shook hands, the house looked great. Everything's perfect. Things didn't start breaking until he walked out the door. We had a septic tank put in. And uh, during this spring, it was a very dry spring. We went a month or so, four or five weeks without any rain. And of course, it was at the beginning of that when they put in the septic tank, so the dirt was really dry. And so when they filled in the dirt, it was all nice and smooth. A month or so went by, and then they put the, the grass down. And when they put the grass down, uh, that, which by the way, the, the, the very next day is when we closed and, and shook hands. And that night, we got this huge rain. It was a wonderful rain. It was a, what we call a gully washer in Texas. It was a good rain. So it's it soaked into all of that dirt around that septic tank, that big concrete tank. And of course, all of that dirt now receiving water for the first time just collapsed and caved in. So we woke up the very next morning after buying our house and we're all proud in our new house. And I look out the back door and our backyard is sinking. You know, I don't sound like Chicken Little, but it looked like the, the world was sinking. And so I took a picture and sent it to my, my um, builder, and I said, my, my backyard's sinking. And so I don't know why. He called me immediately, and I don't know why I said this. Be careful what you say to a builder, by the way. I said, I made him a deal. Again, don't know why. I said, if you'll, if you'll provide the dirt, I'll, I'll fill it in. Now, what a... Oh, I know. I know. It was wrong. I should have said, I'll provide the dirt if you'll fill in. That's what I should have said. 
But uh, the first thing that we had to do, I got out there with my son earlier this week, and and uh, we we it was all you know they unroll the grass. It comes in great big rolls, like a giant grass roll of toilet paper. And they have this machine, and they just unroll it all in your yard. And so we took the roll of toilet paper and we cut the grass. And, and to pull it back to expose the, the sunk-in areas so that we could put in the soil, my son was helping me. And I said, you know, I said, son, it, it just pull it back like a toupee. You're taking off a toupee. <laughs> he didn't know what that was. So anyway, we go to pull it back, and I was shocked in just a few weeks. Those roots grew like that long. Of course, we had the water sprinklers watering it every day and we had some good rain and good sunshine and that I was stunned so we really had to pull and pull to get that grass out of there enough to where we could fill in the dirt we're, we're about halfway there if you love filling in dirt uh, call me I've got a project for you so but I say that 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 grass has to have those roots without it when the rains come it'll just wash the grass Away. Here he's talking about the same kind of deal. He's saying your life and my life have to be rooted or when difficulty comes, it's just going to be washed away. And a lot of people don't have their, their life rooted in Christ. And then it says to be built up. It says rooted and built up in him. Rooting comes first, then the building. Foundation is all the focus <clears throat> in step one. A bad foundation results in problems and every single thing else. I didn't know anything about building a house because we had not built a house before. Again, as I said, never again. But here's what I did know going into this, that if the foundation was bad, there was going to be pain for us in the future. Nobody wants a house with a bad foundation. So I watched that process like a hawk to make sure that we had a thick, deep foundation. Building a house is funny. <clears throat> there are stages in the process, and this very much applies to what Paul is trying to tell you and I in this passage this morning. If you want to build a house, here are the simple steps. <clears throat> Number one, <clears throat> you have to decide the kind of house you want to build. A traditional house, a modern farmhouse, a mid-century modern house, a European contemporary, a Mediterranean-style house, a Japanese-style contemporary, which is very popular in pretty much everywhere but Texas. And so you have to decide. If you don't decide and your house is part traditional, part Mediterranean, and part Japanese, it's going to look weird, <laughs> okay? You need to decide the kind of house. Then, you, of course, you've got to secure the finances and establish a budget. You won't stay on budget, by the way, but you've got to start with a budget. You need to secure a lot or a piece of land where you'll build the house. And this is so critical. You build in the wrong location, on the wrong size lot for your blueprint, or you build with the wrong neighbors and you've got somebody living 30 feet from you that, you know, <laughs> you know, is that neighbor. And maybe you are that neighbor. I don't know, but I hope you're not. <laughs> you have to be careful about, about your lot, about your land, where you're going to build. If not, your dream will become a nightmare. Then you have to do the dirt work and create a level site with the right soil, good soil, for, for a foundation. Then you have to 
poor, strong foundation. Then you have to frame it up and install plumbing and electrical and heating and air conditioning and insulation and dig a well if you need a well, which we did. Then you have the inside walls that you have to do, all the electrical work and plumbing and everything. And then the, the, the sheetrock has to go in. And then the, the doors and the lighting and the painting and the staining and the fireplace and the appliances. Then you have to pour driveway and sidewalks and uh, put in a, a propane tank and a septic tank and do all the landscaping, put in the flowers and those kinds of things. During this time, everything costs more than you were told. So you constantly hemorrhage money. When you think it's over, you do a final walkthrough and fix all the problems that you see in the house. There are problems that you don't see, but you don't, you don't see them then. What you do see then gets fixed. Then you buy furniture and rugs and grills and an alarm system to protect it all because it's your investment. You finally move in and you learn that your house appraises for so much more that you can't afford the taxes on it, so you sell it and move back into your old house. <laughs> Now notice, building a house has multiple phases and many steps. One step at a time, one brick at a time, and it takes a long time. Marriage is the same way. You start with the first date, and you start casually dating, and then you start seriously dating, and then you're engaged, and then there's a wedding, and you spend six months to a year or two years or however much time you spent getting ready for your wedding, and all the responsibilities and the challenges and the food and the flowers and the dress and the tuxedos and all the things that you do for the wedding. But when the guests finally leave, it's not over. It's just beginning. Your wedding, your, your marriage is just beginning. A home. Kids, growing in faith together, you grow through adversity and challenges. And if you survive your marriage long enough, you begin to grow into one another. You, you grow old together. You have grandchildren and then great-grandchildren and there's retirement and traveling. You have different phases in your marriage. You don't get married and then suddenly retire and have grandchildren. You have to have the children first before you can have grandchildren. It's one step at a time. School's the same way. You know, when you're in junior high or high school or college, it's the same way. You take classes, and every class that you take has uh, test exams that you take. And if you make a, uh, you know, a 45 on an exam, then you've got to do better on the next exam to bring that up. And if you don't, then you look at the last exam, the final, and decide, okay, I gotta make 142 on this exam in order to pass class. And slowly, surely, but surely, every paper you write, every project you do, every pop quiz that you have, and every exam you have, go in toward that grade for that class. And then you take class after class and you have what's called a grade point average. And your grade point average starts out at a perfect 4.0 before you take any classes. And then you take classes and it gets lower and lower and lower or goes up or goes down. And ultimately, if you do badly enough, then you just find another career that doesn't require college or high school. If you do well enough, you get to give the speech at your graduation ceremony. Our entire lives are that way. We build our lives one brick at a time in every area, physically, emotionally, financially, <clears throat> academically, professionally, personally, and most of all, spiritually. So here in this passage, 
Paul is urging you to build your faith brick by brick, one brick at a time, one lifetime God has given you to build your faith. So how do you do that? How do I build the good life? You're not going to be given the good life on a silver platter. You may be given money or life of ease. Maybe your parents give you free cars and free goodies and free education. But you still have to build a life to have a good life. Nobody can give it to you. You've got to build it. How do you do that? As a believer in Christ, in Christ Jesus, he says. How do you do that? I'm going to give you two simple ways. Now, they're not easy, but they are very simple. Listen to very closely what I'm about to tell you. Two ways. Now, there are a lot of ways, but I'm going to give you two right now. Number one, <clears throat> if you want to build a good life, stop doing stupid things. That's good the theology, by the way. It's very biblical theology. I don't know if the word stupid's in there, but that's my paraphrase. Stop doing stupid things. Here's the thing. Your life is built well or poorly. You get passing grades or failing. And I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ in him alone. There's nothing we can say or do, no matter how perfect it may sound, that will merit salvation. It is the mercy of God. But having been rooted and established in Christ, you and I, everything that we say and everything that we do, Every good thing and every bad thing goes toward a GPA as far as living the good life. And you can be a believer in Christ and be miserable every day. And so when I say stop doing stupid things, most of the things that we do that detract from our quality of life, that, that, that deteriorate our life rather than build it up, the Bible calls those sins, those things that we do that make a negative impact and instead of a positive impact on our life, those sins that we commit, <clears throat> most of the sins that you commit and that I commit are the same sins. We sin the same way every single day, every single week, every single month, and every single year. We don't learn anything. And I'm guilty too. You're guilty. We are creatures of habit. And you may be thinking about addictions, and addictions are absolutely repeated sins, that we're trapped in that cycle of sin over and over and over again, and we can't seem to get out of it. But I'm talking about the little stuff, not addictions, just little sins that we commit every time we get into rush hour traffic, the things that we think and the things that we say. Every time we see that boss that we can't stand, or that coworker, or that classmate, we tend to, do we not tend to commit the same sins over and over again? If we could just make new sins. <laughs> if we could just, no, I'm not telling you go out and make new sins. <laughs> Although Chris did last week, if to the late service, he told you to take your mom to the liquor store. I, I was <laughs> sitting there shocked. I'm still trying to figure that one out. But, but if we could just get rid of the sins that we commit over and over again, those habits that we have, and just clear that out of our life, wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, that's what we're supposed to do. That's how you build a life in Christ. Stop sinning the old sins. As he said to the woman that was caught into a, in adultery, I don't know, I get the impression it wasn't her first time. You know, Jesus forgave her, but he said, go and stop living this life of sin. Go and sin no more. He's not telling her to be perfect. What he means is, hey, I forgive you. You might want to stop committing adultery though. 
Can I suggest that? Because it would be terrible had she gone out the next day and got herself a new boyfriend as though nothing had happened. God is forgiving you and me for our sins. Now God is saying, go and sin no more. Stop doing that. Stop doing stupid stuff and move on in your life and let God build you. If we could just do that one thing, it'll make a huge difference in your life. And the step, next step, step two, is simply listen. I know that that doesn't sound flashy, but the truth is, we don't listen so good. As a parent, it's always my frustration and my hope and my dream for my children that they'll actually listen to something that I say. I keep trying to teach my wife things and she don't listen. <laughs> she keeps trying to teach me things and I don't listen. We're pretty good about not listening. Listen, this is what God is trying to tell us in our life. You know, I think a lot of people see their spiritual lives instead of a building being built up by God, they see it more like a, their spiritual life, they see it more like a tent. They put it up quickly and easily and it's just a thin veil to lightly cover those dark, stormy days. Is that not true? We just want to, just a little veil there. We don't want to go crazy with a big building, spiritually speaking. Just a little thin layer to keep the storm out. But in the end, faith doesn't work that way. Spiritually, you want to build a good life. You want to build a good life. It takes time. It must be solid. One brick at a time. And you have to listen. Jesus, did, Jesus had just finished sharing his most famous sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount. His final illustration was profound. And you may be sitting there going, I know exactly where he's going with this. I know that verse well. I know the story. Because you've heard, and I've heard, we've studied so many passages and we have memorized so many verses and we've had so many sermons and Sunday school lessons and so many church services in our life and read so many devotionals or watched so many programs and gone to so many Bible study groups. And, and in the light of all of that, if, if we're not listening to what God is telling us, if we don't do what he tells us to do, it's all just a big waste of time. Jesus, even Jesus knew as he's sharing this with the disciples and with the thousands that are listening, he knew that if they didn't do what he told them to do, if they didn't listen to him, it was just a waste of time. Is that not extraordinary that the people that were there, the thousands that were there to hear the Sermon on the Mount, they walked away completely unaffected because they didn't listen to Jesus. So this is why he gives his closing illustration. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He ends it this way. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, that is, if you listen and put them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And the rock is the truth found in Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 26, But, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash. 
Did you know that this most famous sermon in the world, the last word in the sermon is the word crash? Because he knew that many would not listen to what he had to say. Listen. So God tells us in this passage, the Apostle Paul pleads with us to live, to build, and then finally to overflow. Live, build, and overflow. Back in our passage for today, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and listen to this, and overflowing with, with thankfulness. Overflowing means to, in this passage, in the Greek means to abound or, and I actually saw this definition, superabundant is the word. To abound or, or to live a life that is superabundant. Superabundant. I went to a birthday party yesterday. It was for Cheryl June, one of our church members, a very dear, sweet lady. And I thoroughly enjoyed the party because there was food. We are Baptists, so you have to have food. And I want, to, I want Cheryl to know I, I care for her so much that I would go even had there not been barbecue, but it, 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 it did help. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that barbecue. We got in line for the barbecue. And so when you're at a barbecue, my suggestion is that you get a, a, a one of these Cornell plates, you know, big, deep kind of thing, and you can just pile it on there. Well, Roxanne, our dear music minister, she decorated for the party. She likes to decorate for, uh, for uh, occasions like that. She's really good as a decorator. And she put these fancy plates on the table. And they were, they were plastic, but they were very, it was high-end plastic. Uh, very pretty plastic plates. They were fancy. They had all kinds of ornate, uh, and she had different themes at the tables. The problem was the plastic plates were pretty. That's hard to say. The plastic plates were pretty, but they were flat. And so when, I mean, almost completely flat, and I'm a Texan, I want to pile it on, which worked fine with the potato salad, but the beans were problematic. Uh, so I piled on a bunch of beans, and, and I didn't quite make it back from the line to the table without some collateral damage on the floor. It spilled over. I, I didn't have any regrets either. I sat down and just thoroughly enjoyed what was left. <laughs> and so he's talking about this overflow in our life, and it's not new in the Bible. We see that theme throughout. David certainly said in the most famous of all Psalms, Psalm 23, my cup overflows. I love that. One devotional writer says it this way. He states, God is a God of overflow. Now, as I continue to read this, you, you might want to note this if you didn't already see it. He tells us to overflow, Paul does, in thanksgiving. Our cup overflows because when we realize that we're living the dream, that we're living the life that God has for us, we will overflow with thanksgiving. We must. How disheartening it is as a parent to give your children everything and have them to appreciate nothing. Now, my kids are not that way. They're generally very appreciative, and I, I'm thankful for that. 
But you know the kind of child I'm talking about. They grow up and they just don't appreciate anything. They think that they deserve it. They're taught that from the secular world that everybody owes them this entitlement mindset. What you want is the child who says, thank you, thank you. My kids are good about that. We go out to eat and they'll say thank you for the food, especially if it's their favorite restaurant. And I love to hear that. Well, God longs to hear that from us, this overflow of thanksgiving, and he deserves that, does he not? For his goodness in our life. So back to this devotional writer. He says, God is a God of overflow. He desires for us to have a, a life overflowing with his character. Uh, too much hope to keep inside. I like that. Too much hope to keep inside. Peace spilling over the edges. Love saturating everything in and around us. But in order to overflow, something must first be filled. We cannot fill ourselves up by working harder, serving more, or by being good enough. Overflow is the opposite of striving. It flows freely from within. The beginning of an overflowing life is an unshakable identity in God sustained by intimacy with Him. He goes on to say this, God wants you to overflow. God wants you to overflow. But Paul here in this passage says, our thanksgiving should overflow. And our thanksgiving should overflow because of the life and the strength that he gives us. So live your life. When you go out in this world today, not next week, next month, or next year, don't always be looking into the horizon. Today, is the focus of God's word. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, about what tomorrow will have. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus did. He said, for today, you focus on today. Give us this day our daily bread, he says in the model prayer. So think about today, as the psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Don't find yourself longing for cooler weather if you live long enough, eventually in the fall, it'll get here. Be thankful for today. Is it hot? Yes, it's going to be hot. But it's today. We woke up this morning. You opened your eyes, took a breath. Thank God for that. <laughs> the air conditioner's working. Thank God for that. You know, we're here. We're together. We're in one in Christ. Thank God for that. Think, be thankful for today and let your life overflow in him. Let's pray together. Father God, as we think about life that you give us, help us to remember to live that life. As we think about you building us up in life, like a building is constructed, you're building our life to reflect Christ more and more. He is our foundation, and life won't be worth living without that foundation. But the truth is, every other aspect of the building that is our life is to be found in Christ. There's so many in this world, they go to church, they sing the songs and pray the prayers, but they're not really rooted 
when it's just us. Not our parents trying to tell us that we're Christians or convince us that we're Christians or telling us to be Christians when it's just us. When it's not just our peers who are doing Christian things, it's just us and our God. Are we rooted in Christ? If not, may be, today be the day of our salvation. May this be the moment that we come to Christ and say, you know what? I mess up in my life and I need to be saved. I need a Savior. I need that redemption. I believe that Christ died for me in my place because that's the result of my sin. I die spiritually. I don't want to die. And so I accept that gift. He died in my place on the cross. I believe in three days in faith that he came back to life. The Bible tells us that he came back to life and I believe it in faith. I take that step of faith. Even though I wasn't there, I believe it. And here and now, I give my life to Jesus Christ. I accept his lordship in my life from here forward. As I am grounded and rooted in him all my life. Father, for those who have made that decision, may they be open to you and allow you to continue to build them up into the mighty person of God that you created us to be. Father, I pray that you would help us not to repeat the same sins over and over again as we are in the habit of doing. That's why it's called a habit. Help us. Refine us. Help us as we go throughout this week to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm being built up in Christ. No, I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm not going to talk like that anymore. I keep talking these things, saying these words and acting this way. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm being built up in Christ. I keep giving in to anger or hatred or lust or greed or selfishness or pride. And we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm being built up in Christ. Father, help us today in Christ to do those very things. Help us to see how blessed we are that we get to reflect our Creator because of Jesus. And that our hearts should be overflowing in abundance with thanksgiving. As you're praying, no one's looking around.